Hello and welcome to the Max Communications 2020 podcast, a series of podcasts where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams and I'm joined today by Hayley Whiting, Heritage Archive and Research Manager for the Royal National Lifeboats Institution. Hi Hayley, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about how you came to be working for the RNLI? Yeah, sure. Um, hello, yeah, so I'm Hayley. Um, I am an archivist, although my job title doesn't sound quite that way. Um, I have been at the RLI for seven years um, and I'm the first archivist that they've employed, but I joined their heritage team, which look after all their object and archive collections um, across um, all of our sites um, in the UK and Ireland. Um, and I came to the RNLI, I kind of moved back home from, so I'm from Dorset and we're based in Poole in Dorset. Um, previously, I've been working in university archives. Um, I'd also worked in banking archives and charity archives. So I had a bit of a mixed career, but um, yeah, I've been at the RNLI for seven years now. So if you were the first archivist, did you kind of make your own role as it were? Um, essentially, yes. So the need for an archivist have been highlighted by the wider heritage team. So the RNI introduced its heritage team about 15 years ago. And what they did was they focused very much on the public face of the team, which is our museums. So we have seven museums uh, that the public can go and uh, learn about different aspects of the charity's history. But it was recognised that the archive um, needed professionally looking after. It was being uh, cared for by a wonderful volunteer called Barry Cox, um, who had been looking after it for nearly 30 years, but it was um, decided that yes, a, a professional touch was needed and to really look at how the archive could be used by the charity to engage supporters um, and the public as well. So how do you spend an average day working with the collection? Oh, I, I wish there was an average day. I don't think there is an average day. It's always something different, which is actually one of the nicest things, I think, about my job. Um, so in the archive, there is just me at the moment, um, and I'm the uh, part-time archivist. So my time is usually spent uh, very busily. Um, we run an inquiry service, and we answer about 100 inquiries every month. So a lot of what I do is looking at family history inquiries. Um, as you can imagine, we've had hundreds of thousands of volunteers uh, crew for the lifeboats over our history since 1824. So lots of people are related to those people and want to know a bit about their, their time at the RNLI. We also have a lot of people who own historic lifeboats and want to know more about them or uh, often how to, how to fix them and need plans and bits and pieces for them. Um, but we also do a huge amount of work internally. So the heritage team really is a resource for the charity to use to inspire and engage its supporters. Um, so we're used in lots of different ways, everything from retail to social media, um, to press inquiries. And a lot of that is often very last minute. So often I don't know what my day is going to look like until I open my inbox or until I get a call from, from the social media team. Um, and obviously at the moment, my, my day is a bit different because I'm working from home uh, due to the, to the current restrictions. But if I was in, um, in the office as normal, we'd also uh, spend the day with our volunteers. We have a fantastic team of volunteers who support all the work that we do. Um, so I would, I would be setting them up and, and helping them with their, with their roles as well. 
A collection dating back from 1824. What kind of material do you have? Yes, yeah, so the RNI was founded in 1824 um, by Sir William Hillary, and we have everything from his kind of initial thoughts around how to get the charity up and running, his original appeal to the nation to form this charity that would save lives at sea um, across the coasts of the, the UK and Ireland. So we have everything from the very first committee minutes and, and establishing uh, the charity and then see the purpose of the charity is is to save lives so we have um, information on every single rescue that every single lifeboat station um, has carried out during our history um, so we have 238 lifeboat stations at the moment but we have had many more in our history um, we have less than we used to because as our boats get bigger and better and faster we we need less of them around the coast so we have records for every single station um, from their foundation uh, to to the present day so there's lots of the rescue side of things but there's also really sort of the business element of the charity as well so it's all the committee minutes and the papers and the financial records everything you would expect from from the sort of business side of things and then we have um, crew information so records of, of the crew who've served and at which stations and um, the amazing things that they did, the, the medals that they were awarded for bravery and um, the sort of feats of, of heroism that they, that they did. Um, and then other aspects of the collection of the more technical side, so uh, the technical side of lifeboats, so how they're built um, and the development of those boats from an open rowboat in the 1824 uh, period to uh, Shannon class lifeboats which we use today so lots on on the kind of real uh, nitty-gritty of, of technology in lifeboats and then we have a really amazing photographic collection hundreds of thousands of photographs of of every lifeboat station and uh, crew um, rescues uh, images of the station and images of, of the lifeboats and some really yeah really striking images in our collection I feel like um, the RNLI is really close to people's hearts because it, it's really focused on people. It's largely volunteer run, is that right? So do you get a lot of um, queries and interest in, in the people that make up your collection, the stories? Definitely. Um, so the RNLI is 95% volunteers, so it's 5% staff and everyone else uh, who keeps our charity going our volunteers right from the crew um, but the volunteer fundraisers um, even volunteer heritage staff and they are the absolute core of, of everything that the RNI does and in a, our records I think it's those stories and that's really how we see heritage is that we are here to tell the stories of the wonderful things that the volunteers have done and, and the acts of bravery but also the acts of, kind of innovation and things like fundraising and um, people who've done really uh, interesting and, and amazing things for the charity and there is huge interest um, in people uh, either in those stories of rescues and they want to learn about the crew that were involved but like I said before family history is a, a huge um, draw on my time um, but it's also something that's really rewarding because it's really amazing to be able to tell people that they're great-great-grandfather was awarded a medal for bravery or we have a wonderful photo of them stood by the lifeboat and we can tell them about their their service history and the things that they did whilst they whilst they volunteered for the RNI but yes the RNI really is all about its people 
And you mentioned that you've got seven museums. Is your collection spread out throughout them so people can have a look at it? Yes, so we do have the seven museums. They're all quite specific to their location. Um, so we have um, two museums that are based really on people. So we have the Henry Blog Museum, which is in Cromer in Norfolk. And Henry is our most decorated crew member. So he received the most gallantry awards of any crew member um, in our history. And he was quite a sort of local hero at Cromer as well. And um, you can go to the museum there, which is um, currently closed, but will be reopened, um, which is free to, to members of the public. And you can see his actual lifeboat, um, the HF Bailey there, but you can learn all about his time with the RNLI and also sort of learn stories of, of how, how the RNLI has developed over the years. Um, so in there are collections that are specific to, to Henry, including archive records um, that relate to, to Cromer and his time there. And then up in Northumberland, so a little ways away, we've got the Grace Darling Museum, which um, is all about the story of Grace, who was the first female recipient of a gallantry medal by the RNLI. And she and her father rode out from their lighthouse in Northumberland to rescue uh, some people who'd been shipwrecked. And she became this kind of Victorian national heroine um, and that museum tells the story of her unfortunately quite short life as she died in her early 20s. Um, but it tells that sort of story of her, of her sort of almost rise to fame. She really did become this Victorian celebrity. So again, there the collections are very specific um, to Grace. And then our other museums are more location specific. So um, at Eastbourne, you can go to the museum there and learn about the history of the Eastbourne lifeboat station. The same with Salcombe down in Devon. Um, we have a museum at Whitby, which is in the old lifeboat station there, which tells the amazing history of Whitby lifeboat station, which is um, a very dangerous piece of coast. So they, they have a lot of uh, really amazing uh, rescues there. Uh, we have our Sea Watch Centre at Marlborough, um, which is a bit more of a hands-on kind of space. And we also have our um, historic lifeboat collection at Chatham. So if you want to see actual physical uh, lifeboats, they have, uh, uh, I think it's now 21 lifeboats on display, which span the sort of history of, of lifeboat development. Um, so yeah, the, all the collections are completely different. Um, and they have their own specific uh, records there. And then what we have in Poole at the support centre is really the more um, sort of records of the centre, records of the, the sort of main offices. Um, so while it relates to all of our stations, it's more the sort of head office view, I, I would guess you would look at it. Um, and then just to complicate the picture even more, most of our lifeboat stations also hold their own records as well. So. Um, as well as the seven museums, we've got 238 other sites to uh, to help with as well. So it's it, it's quite a quite a big scope, really. Is that quite challenging? Um, it is very challenging, um, partly just from a capacity point of view, because we're quite a small team. But you might imagine that lifeboat stations aren't really ideal archive storage. Mm -hmm, yeah. They are busy. They are often quite wet, um, often in quite remote places. Um, and obviously um, we have to help the stations to understand what records they should be keeping, but also try and help them to care for them in the best way that they can in the conditions that they that they have there. 
Um, so yes, it is a challenge, but um, we give out advice to all of the stations and we really are that kind of point of contact. So if any of the stations have got um, an issue that they need to talk to us about, we're there to help. But also um, a lot of the stations, they're really passionate about their own history. So our role is to help them to kind of tell their individual story at the station as well. So we have a member of the team who um, works directly with stations, um, particularly putting on displays or if they're building a new lifeboat station, having a kind of heritage element so that people can really learn about the history of that particular station rather than a kind of generic RNLI history. And that's a really nice way of going about things. What do you hope for the future of the collection? Would you open up more sites or are, there, are you adding to the collection? The collections are growing all the time, particularly um, our main collections in pool, the, as the RNI continues, as do, as do our collections. Um, I think the hope I have, particularly for the archive, is sort of twofold. Um, one is some improved um, storage conditions, because we are in a, a 1970s building. Um, it's, not, it's not fit uh, for purpose and we certainly don't have enough space. So to be able to kind of develop the, the physical care of the collection would be, um, would be wonderful. Um, but I also think digital access and just making our collections more accessible, that's always been something we've been wanting to do. And, and one of the reasons that we uh, work with Max to, to get um, our records uh, digitised. Um, Location-wise, Pool in Dorset is not the most accessible place, um, particularly for our crews. So uh, the RNI covers the whole of the UK um, and Ireland, as well as the Isle of Man. Um, and it isn't the most uh, easy place for them to get to if they want to come and, and do some in-depth research. So we've wanted to make our collections much more accessible and more self-service, so having a better online catalogue, more records available uh, digitally. And obviously the uh, last few months have really proven the value to us of those collections that we have had digitized. And um, we've been able to work through the, through the pandemic and answer our inquiries as we normally would and provide material remotely to people. Um, so the more that we can have um, available electronically, um, the better, I think. So that is a real dream of ours is to, is to make our collections much more accessible and because we have so many interesting and um, useful things that we'd like people to be able to to see and to kind of get those stories out into the public domain more as well. The UK has really strong maritime heritage. Do you team up with other maritime museums or organisations? Yes, we do. So yeah, the RNLI is quite an important part of uh, sort of the maritime history of the UK and Ireland. Um, one of the things that, although we do have these seven museums, we don't have a kind of general RNLI museum to sort of tell the, the wider history of the RNLI. Um, so what we do is we partner with other organisations to, to get that story out there and um, get our material on display. So a few years ago, we had quite a large part of an exhibition at the National Maritime Museum in Falmouth in Cornwall. Um, and that was a sort of history of the RNLI, but also quite a lot of uh, information on, on how the RNLI operates today. Um, we recently had some heritage lottery funding and part of that, um, we had an exhibition at Paul Museum where we were able to display some of the material that we had digitized there, which was um, really beautiful photographs, glass plate negative 
um, photography of our lifeboats as they were being built on the Isle of Wight um, by a photographer called Beacon of Cows. Um, so we look for ways to, to partner with other organisations and to, to get, our, get our collections out there because we don't necessarily have the facilities um, to do that ourselves. What is your favourite part of the collection? Do you have a favourite item? I think that's really difficult and I think it might depend on what day you ask me. I think one of the more unusual things we have in our collection which seemed to it seems to really engage people um, we have a letter from the Titanic and it's quite unusual because obviously the RNLI was not involved in in the the rescue effort uh, for the survivors of the Titanic um, but this letter came into our collection um, it's written by a lady called Mary Roberts, and she was a stewardess on the Titanic. And this letter was written to her husband, and it, it came off um, the Titanic in Ireland before it goes on to its uh, uh, fateful uh, leg of its journey. And um, Mary survived the Titanic, um, and she was rescued, and she continued her role working on on different ships and in 1914 she was on the hospital ship Rahilla um, which was traveling to France from Scotland and um, was wrecked off of the coast of Whitby and uh, she survived that disaster as well she was rescued by the RNLI and um, up at our museum in Whitby you can learn a lot more about that Rahilla story and and see items that she had including her trunk that she actually had on the Rahilla at the time um, but this letter um, came into the collection from the family with the records which we we hold hold it in pool partly because it's very valuable uh, Titanic memorabilia is very saleable um, so we keep it in sort of secure conditions but it's also just something um, that we engage uh, the public and supporters with but also our internal staff so we run induction sessions where we get um, our staff engaged with our heritage and being able to, to hold something from the Titanic um, seems to really get people um, interested. So yeah, I really like uh, that item. And I think it just, it's nice to be able to tell a kind of a, a wider story. And I think it's always interesting to think whether Mary Roberts was, um, was she lucky or unlucky to be in both, in both disasters and, and survive them both. So that's nice to have a normal person, you know, she was working on the ship. Yes, that's oh, right. Yes. And the, the letter, it, yeah, the letter itself is it, quite a mundane letter. She complains that her shoes are pinching and that when she gets to New York, she's going to buy some new shoes and that the boy that comes to collect the washing is, is always late. And it, it's quite a it's quite a sort of normal letter between a husband and wife, really, with kind of no idea what what was going to happen after that letter was sent. Yeah, that's fantastic. So what is what type of things do you have uh, digitized already that people can access online um so we have quite a lot of material digitized although a lot of it at the moment isn't available publicly it's sort of more available on request um, one thing that we do have available online is um the archive of our publication the lifeboat um, so we have a magazine that goes to our supporters but it's been going since the 1850s and we had uh, the whole um, back catalogue digitised and it's available um, online. 
thank you so much for Lifeboat Magazine Archive. It'll come up and it's a really amazing resource. Um, lots of information on individual people, so obituaries, but also um, rescue stories and summaries of rescues. Lots of things just about how the RNI is developed, so stories on um, when we've introduced new types of lifeboats or, or new um, systems, like the introduction of um, radios onto our lifeboat, those kinds of things. So that's a really amazing resource and a really good kind of first place to go to if you're looking for information um, on the RNLI. Um, a lot of what we've had digitised is those really key records to us, so service records, so the, the actual uh, record of individual rescues. Um, and we have those now in digital form from 1824 until we went um, electronic ourselves, uh, starting to use a computer system in the 90s to log those rescues. So it means that um, as an archivist, I can access them, which is fantastic without having to go through the originals, but also means I can supply copies of those um, if people are looking for information on a, a particular rescue or a particular station. Um, we're working on our um, photography collection because we've got so many amazing photographs and really as a resource they're really fantastic because a picture can can show so much more um, and really engage people and they're a firm favourite of our social media team anytime we find a, a particularly interesting or unusual photograph they're, they're really keen to see those. Um, so we're digitising those and trying to make those more accessible um, so it's balancing, yeah, some material we're digitising because we need to preserve it, some um, particularly heavily used material like our crew uh, records, um, which we use a lot for, for family history inquiries. Um, and yeah, just material that um, we would like to, to be more accessible. Um, and hopefully in the future, as we're working on our kind of online catalogue, that um, we're trying to make the archive more self-service so that people can take a look and explore the collections um, as they'd like to really. Yeah, I know that the RNLI is close to a lot of people's hearts. So that's great that people will be able to access the heritage of the organization and, and that you're working so hard to preserve it and make it accessible to people. Thank you for joining me today, Haley. It's been really interesting hearing about what you're doing with the collection and the stories that you're telling and what you have available. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great to talk about it with you. Great. Cheers. Thanks.